Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome to weigh in sports talk i'm your host brian tarvin it's going to be one great show tonight after it was one great weekend of basketball i know we have a lot of disappointed kentucky fans out there but let's let's tip our hats off to the wisconsin badgers for a, a great performance last night in the men's semifinal. the nightcap really a lot of people saying that was for the championship but as we discussed in the next few minutes, we're going to talk about the Duke Blue Devils. I think they're a team being ignored right now, overshadowed by the Kentucky Wildcats and Wisconsin Badgers. Thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight. We have a lot to discuss. A little controversy going on. We'll talk about it after the Kentucky-Wisconsin game, but we'll start with the with the Michigan State-Duke game. You know, after after watching that game, uh, it just made me realize that that the Michigan State really didn't belong for some reason. I mean, they were terrible. Lost eighty-one sixty-one, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Duke, but if you make it all the way to the Final Four, you you don't get blown out by twenty points. I'm sorry, you you make it competitive. Tom Izzo is a great coach to get his guys there, but if you look, if you watch the game. It was the defense of, of Duke was just way too aggressive, too physical. Uh, the athleticism on the court for the Duke Blue Devils, second to none. So that's going to set up a great matchup tomorrow night, Wisconsin and Duke. And uh, I, I don't know if anybody would think this, but Duke is a favorite in this game. A lot of people think of Wisconsin or Kentucky, like I said, but Duke's all of a sudden a one-point favorite in Vegas, and I know that's because there's more Duke fans all over the country than Wisconsin, so don't let the line fool you, thinking that, that Duke's the better team. They may be. We're going to find out tomorrow night. But all I'm saying is the public's going to be on Duke in this game. There's a lot of Duke fans out there, just like there's a lot of Kentucky fans. So we're going to see. But, you know, watching Duke, just just very, very impressive taking care of business. You can tell Krzyzewski was on a mission that night. These Duke Blue Devils had one thing on their mind, and it was the Michigan State Spartans. Quinn Cook, a 17-point night, looked great. Matt Jones tipped in seven. Tyrus Jones, Tyus Jones, excuse me, nine points. Jail Okafor, 18 points, six rebounds. Justice Winslow, the hero in my mind, 19 points, two assists, nine rebounds. You think about a player that's been more valuable to their team, Justice Winslow is one of the best players in the country. And how valuable is he to the Duke Blue Devils? You know, people talk about Kentucky playing a lot of freshmen and and things like that. What about Duke? They start three freshmen. So it's just amazing watching Duke play. I'm excited for the game. I was disappointed last night that Kentucky lost in the fashion. I did not appreciate how bad the officiating was the entire game. Honestly, for both sides. So when it counted, Kentucky started getting ripped 
in that game. It all started to me with a tic-tac foul getting Wisconsin in the bonus. But the shot clock violation, how in the world can three officials not see a shot clock go to zero, not, not only one second, like two seconds after it expires, Wisconsin rebounds it and lays it in. Nobody says anything. And, of course, it's not under two minutes. You can't review it. So that, that's the problem I have is, is you, you make it that far. And, and it's an inbound play. So, so when the ball went out, three officials know there's three seconds on the clock and they're communicating with each other. Who's going to get what? Who's going to watch the clock? Well, obviously none of them did and it switched the momentum. Kentucky was up two at that time, if I can recall correctly. They were up two, going to have the ball back with a chance to go up four. And that's the problem I have. Momentum was shifted in the game. The officials just totally, totally blew the call. And, and yes, I heard about, I, I saw the elbow to the head or the slap to the face, whatever you want to call it. I think the officials got it right. I think they left it alone. And maybe they went back to the, the booth and talked and said, hey, we've been screwing Kentucky so much tonight, we better not call this against them. And then I've, I've got a lot of messages about, well, the charge, the three-pointer with the charge, the guy has a ch- has to have a chance to come down. You are exactly correct. He does have to have the right to come down. That's his face, but he didn't come down where he, where he left off. So he passed the ball, ran over the guy and here we are so congratulations to wisconsin you know i I was a wisconsin fan i was a kentucky fan it was actually a great game to watch i just do not like to see officiating come in there and rip rip the game almost out of kentucky's hand so that's the problem i had is wisconsin better than kentucky well i mean they, they were last night i'll put it that way they were better than Kentucky last night. That's all I can tell you. If they played again, who would win? I think watching that game, I saw a lot more team basketball with Wisconsin. They rely on each other to get open. They they make that extra pass. And, and you know, honestly, Wisconsin dominated the game from the tip. It was a 5 nothing Kentucky lead early. But Wisconsin controlled the game all the way up until Kentucky re, regained the lead and went up four. But then Wisconsin came right back. So it was a game dominated, in my opinion, by Wisconsin. But the officials, they they were terrible for Wisconsin. They were terrible for Kentucky. I just don't get how you can flip-flop the way you've been calling an entire tournament. This is the final four. Let these guys play. Quit trying to dictate the outcome of a ball game. That's my frustration with it, and that's, that's all I'm going to say about the officials. But but the one thing, I, another thing I have a problem with is you can't criticize the officials without getting fined. Well, well, they they get paid. They're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. These are professionals. These are supposed to be the best of the best. Let's hold these people accountable. I've coached basketball, and trust me, I've I've blasted the media or blasted the referees any chance I got. I referee basketball. I take the heat when I screw something up. But this is I've never called in the final four. You know, that's that's one thing. I've, I've never been a college official, but I call basketball at high levels. So I, I understand calls can be missed, but not those kind of calls where three officials miss a shot clock violation. But let's, let's look at the stats real quick in the Kentucky game. Kaminsky was Kaminsky. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about how – 
how much he got into the heads of South Kentucky in just a moment. But Josh Gasser, a three-pointer he hit. He played 32 minutes, four rebounds. He had a couple of offensive rebounds that were big. Nigel Hayes, 12 points in that game, five rebounds and assists. Sam Decker, amazing as usual, 16 points, three rebounds and assists. Uh, Bronson Cohen, 12 points, two assists, four boards. And Kaminsky, 20 points, 11 boards, two assists. And you just can't put a price tag on that. I mean, what 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 he can bring to the table, how he can pull people outside and make them make them guard him, and that's one of the problems. Kaminsky is not a, a just a post player alone. He can go outside, knock down three pointers, and I love him for that. But we're, we'll talk about those comments. But one player that kind of got overshadowed last night was Trevon Jackson. Remember, Jackson was the guy last year in the Final Four that turned the ball over, uh, missed a free throw. Kentucky came down and hit it. He broke his foot, I believe, but he came back last night. He's been playing a little bit. He had six points, two assists, two rebounds, and only 12 minutes. But how how nice was it to be able to see a kid like this that's been around for a long time get a chance to redeem himself against a team? He had a year to think about losing to Kentucky. And he finished him off last night. No undefeated season, no undefeated championship for the Kentucky Wildcats. Bob Knight's got to be smiling. But after the game, press conference, kids are, you know, kids are stuck in front of uh, the media with a microphone. And even if you don't think a microphone's there, there's a microphone that can hear you. But I'm just going to go, hold on, I forgot Kentucky stats real quick. Not a lot of Things jump out at you of Kentucky stats. Lyles, nine points, only one rebound. And one thing about this game, Wisconsin dominated the boards, I think, by 12 rebounds in this game. Towns was good as usual, 16 points, nine rebounds. Willie Cauley-Stein, I mean, talking about going to the NBA, two points, one assist, five boards. Come on, man. You're going to have to do more than than put one in the basket on an alley-oop to make me think you, you belong. The Harrison Twins. Aaron had 12, Andrew 13, Andrew four assists, two boards. It was was an okay. I mean, you look at the way Kentucky played, the way they shot about 50% from the field, 90% from the free throw line. You would think that Kentucky won that basketball game, but they didn't. The offensive rebounds in this game were won by Wisconsin 9-6. Defensive boards, they won 21-16. You can't beat Wisconsin if you're not out rebounding them. More assists, which didn't didn't shock me. Wisconsin ten, Kentucky seven. You would think in a game, a forty minute game, two two of the best teams in the country, they would have more than seventeen assists combined. Five steals for Kentucky, one for Wisconsin, and the turnovers ten for Wisconsin, six for Kentucky. So if you look at that, you would think Kentucky took this game and, and they took care of business. But as we all know, the Final Four can be surprising. But after the game, Aaron Harrison was caught. Andrew Harrison was caught. I believe it was Andrew. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm about to pull the chat room up. We had computer issues, or I had computer issues. Um, the media, he called Frank Kaminsky uh, F, F and N word, and it was caught on a microphone. You know, he, he immediately sent a message to Kaminsky, called him and apologized to him. But 
Kaminsky said one thing, hey, don't don't make a big deal out of this. And, and how many times would you love someone to step up and say, hey, don't make a big deal out of that. Who cares? He won the Final Four. He could care less. Harrison needs to, to watch what he says. You know, in this society we live in, there is no such thing as freedom of speech. And had the roles been reversed, oh, my God, you're talking about we wouldn't even be talking about the Final Four right now. But Harrison, he's young, you know, he's he's not five years old. He's a, a young adult. He has to be better than that. That that really surprised me coming from him. You know, looking at the his background, his family, um, he just doesn't seem like the type of person that would that would make racial slurs like that about Frank Kaminsky. And I know he was frustrated, trust me, and and, and I think part of the reason he was so frustrated was because of the officials letting Kaminsky reach around last night and kind of pull and get leverage and position. And I, I think he was just frustrated. you got to remember, these guys have won 38 games in a row. I mean, that's a lot of games to win in a row. 38, no, and you lose, you're going to be a little emotional. You're going to act like a brat sometimes. Remember, these are 19-year-old kids. These are not NBA players. These are adult, These are not adults. But you know, I remember when I was 19 years old. My God, you know, if I if I was judged by every word I said or every action I made at age 19, man, I, I wouldn't be here today probably. But you know, I like Frank Kaminsky's attitude about it. He shook it off. He accepted his apology, and he moved on. You know what? He probably didn't even care to be honest with you. Knowing Kaminsky, he's a little nerd. You would never think he was a, a basketball star when you when you look at him and and you see him off the court. But he just shook it off, and he wanted everybody else to not make a big deal out of it. So I just wish more people could be like Frank Kaminsky like this and not take everything so personal, not have to to jump on every word somebody says and try to trap them or say anything. Harrison made a mistake. He apologized for it. And, and I guarantee you this, He'll learn his lesson from this. But Kentucky came out and said there would be no punishment, no punishment for this kid at all, which I disagree with. I think it should be handled by Kentucky a little better. And uh, we'll bring Sonia in real quick. I see she's in the studio. So when you're on, Sonia, say hello. Are you on? Hey, Tarvin. Hey, how's it going? What's going on, sweetie? I'm just talking some b-ball. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> I do agree with you though that um uh he handled it so well. I was I was disappointed to hear that, but I'm gonna be I'm like you and I think maybe it's cuz we play basketball, you know what I mean, and we we've been there. Mm-hmm. When your emotions are that high, it's almost like you're you're playing street ball. You know what I'm saying? And it's not excusing him because he still shouldn't have said anything. But just knowing how it is in that situation or how it's been in, in situations similar to that and then to multiply that times four, you know, it's like you just give him a pass, dude. You know, Kaminsky's yeah. not tripping, and he was a much – I give him so much respect. I mean, not only did they play as a unit last night, I was very, very impressed with, with Wisconsin. I wasn't too impressed with the officiating. Um, it seemed like Kentucky's offense just kind of broke down. I don't know what – I don't know if they were just overconfident, but – it's like they would get on these runs, and then it was almost like, wait, is this the same team? I mean, did you did you notice that? It was just kind of like, where 
Yeah, Wisconsin every, every much, time they got down eight, every time they'd get down eight points, Kentucky would go on a, a eight to nothing run and get it right back even, and then they'd quit again. Uh, I didn't yeah. understand it. I mean, I, I think I think Wisconsin kind of lulls you to sleep sometimes. I think, and, and they're so good at what they do. They make so mm-hmm. many different passes, and so many people can beat you. And it looked to me last night that Wisconsin was just a better team. They weren't the t- most talented team. Kentucky was. But the, the way they executed and Sonia, it goes a long way when you play three or four years together compared to one. I think that makes a huge difference. Oh, heck yeah. And, and one of the things that, because we, we were talking about this, Jason, and I were talking about it yesterday before the game came on, because we were watching um, uh, Duke, the Duke game, you know, Duke beforehand. And so we were watching that game, and, you know, we were just kind of, you know, making our comments, whatever, whatever. And Jason was, you know how Jason is. He's never going to cheer for Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't cheering for Michigan. It was like, you know, he's like, the only reason I, I want Michigan to win is because I don't want Duke to win. But when you compare the two teams or, or both games last night, it just looked like Wisconsin and Duke were just on it. I mean, yep. both of those teams were on it, and it all it all goes back to the word you just used and one that we both love to use, execution. It's not about – the 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 play or you know it's got to be this special play. It's about how you execute that play. And Wisconsin was just executing beautifully. They were. I mean, and they do it every game. It's not you know after that North Carolina game towards the end they started their run and and here they are. And I said it last weekend. I put it in on Way in Sports. I said Wisconsin's the best team in the country right now. I didn't mean they were the most talented. They were going to be Kentucky. Or nothing right. like that, but they look like the best team from top to bottom, the way they play team basketball, unselfish. And Bo Ryan's a good coach. I mean, it's just like they're, they're always under the radar because it's Wisconsin, you know. Everybody likes the Kentucky team, the flashy team. But do you think Bo Ryan outcoached Calipari last night? Uh, I really don't want to take it that far, I'm going to be honest, because from what I saw on the side – to me, honestly, it just seems like Kentucky either came in way overconfident or something happened to their confidence in that game, and they just they kind of looked they kind of had that deer in the headlight looks too many times for me last night. And you could see, yeah. you know, see him on the side, and he was kind of like, you know, run this way or do this or do that, and you know, and I'm kind of looking because I remember there was one time I'm looking at Wisconsin, or no, excuse me, they're they're um, at Wisconsin's basket. And I'm looking at Kentucky, and I'm like, dude, the lane's wide open. Like, there was no – it was like, dude, and he just ran in and got the shot. And I'm just like, what is going on? This is not the Kentucky we're used to. So I don't know what happened, Brian. I don't know if, like I said, I don't know if they got over overconfident, a little cocky, or something. But something – they were not the same Kentucky. And Wisconsin was just totally controlled. To, you know, they had their stuff together. They were like, we're here to win. Well, it's kind of good for college basketball that Wisconsin did win last night. But, but everybody's always on Kentucky, the one and done. But if you look at Duke, they have more freshmen that are going to the draft than anyone. So, so Duke's a team that's going to run in, could run into the same type of problem Kentucky did last night. You know, there's a difference when you're a freshman in that discipline knowing, you know, you've been there three or four years. You've been right. here. A lot of these kids for Duke, even though Duke's been there a lot to name, these kids haven't been there. Wisconsin looks like a team to me on a mission, and it's going to be hard. I just can't see those guys losing. I can't see Decker and Kaminsky losing the Dukes, Sonia. And I could be wrong, but they, they've come too far. This is it. They All these 
long hours. They haven't won a championship in a long, long time. So I just think Wisconsin looks like a team of destiny right now, if there is such a thing. But that's what they look like to me. Well, Jason is is joining us now, and uh, since we've got you on the phone, he's our our Big Ten expert. (laughs) So I'm going to let him weigh in on – hold on, let me let him get settled here. (laughs) We're talking about the game last night. Uh, Go puke. (laughs) (laughs) I know you were very happy, Jason. Uh, I know you were very happy watching the Badgers take care of business. Uh, I could care less. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a conference homer. He cannot stand Wisconsin. He he was determined not to to root for them. And um, tomorrow or Monday we're going to be rooting for Duke. But I wanted him to answer your question. You want to ask again about the Wisconsin, your view of Wisconsin Tarvin, so he can answer. Well, Jason, it just looked like to me that that Wisconsin, a team that's played together a lot longer, and and they looked you know like they'd been there before. Where Kentucky you know, with a lot of younger players and everything. I mean, what does that mean when you play together under the same system, the same coach for that long? And to go to the Final Four last year and lose by one point to Kentucky, how much did that have an impact on the game last night? Oh, I think it had a lot to do with it. Um, I don't know. I mean, Big Ten teams in general could stay four years. I mean, this is the way it is. Um I mean, we talked about it on Facebook today. I mean, I, I miss the days, you know, where you got to know the kids in college. I mean, the Big East was, you know, strong. And <laughs> you grew up watching Ewing and Mullen and <clears throat> and all that, and you lose that. Um, I think it had a lot to do with it. I mean, you look at Kentucky, I mean, yeah, there were some people that returned, but you basically turned that, turn, turned that team over. You gotta jail that team within a year. <clears throat> Wisconsin, I mean, they they've been together for four years. I mean, I give credit where credit's due. I just could care less. Tell me about Michigan State, Jason. I mean, a team that looks so good, it seems like every year up until they get to the Final Four, and these guys just step and fall back in it. I mean, what what's wrong with Michigan State? They look like a very talented team. That they just to me they can't shoot the ball well. I mean, it's just that. I mean, some big teams, some Big Ten teams, they. I mean, they play good up to a certain point, but then they can't shoot. Besides Wisconsin, but but it looked like Duke was in another league last night compared to Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State. I mean, to be honest with you, Tarvin, that's the worst team that Izzo has brought to the Final Four ever. <clears throat> so that tells you what kind of coach Izzo is. They didn't belong there. Yeah. I mean, their no. seventh was legit. I mean, sometimes in the tournament, dude, it's it's just the way the ball bounces, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, if Kentucky played Wisconsin again, I bet you they beat them. But <clears throat> you know, who's to say? That's the well, one thing. What did you think about the skating last night, Jason? Looking at the game, it just looked to me with the shot clock violation and yeah, and everything. How did three officials? I'm an official, Jason, and with three seconds left on the shot clock when you're inbounding the ball, we're going to communicate. I only call with one official where there's three in this game. How do you let two seconds go by and a guy get a shot off almost and nobody catches that? I'm not going to comment. And how do you how do you not call the blatant foul, the face slap? Yeah, and, and- – 
know, and what's really disappointing to me is the way flopping has infected college, oh college basketball. I mean, I saw so many flops last night. Oxford, <laughs> and and they were they were pivotal moments of the game. So that ruins it for me. I mean, it, it does. Do you, do, you, do you have an example of one last night that was big? Um. Oh, what's his name? Um, was it not Kaminsky? No, was it Kaminsky? Under the under the. Uh... No, it was a charging call, and you could see you could see he barely touched him, and the guy flopped back, and you know it's just like, come on. See, I, you know, you know the the one Sonya said about the slap to the head and everything. I I thought that was a good no call after they reviewed it because look, it's basketball, man. You you can't give two free throws in a final four to these guys just for and I, and they, it, it's not like he slapped him hard or something or tried to hurt him. It's just one of those frustration things. But this is men's basketball. But you know basketball. what? It's, it's it's the same thing as the Leitner stomp. It's, yep. the, it's the same thing. And that's my point. They're always going to point to that. People, people rip Leitner to shreds, and when you look at it, he just kind of tapped them. He didn't, like, stop on them, you know, but they made it into this big deal. And I think that's why they didn't do anything with the slap because, I mean, it's like whatever. It wasn't intentional. No. You can tell it wasn't intentional. No. But what, you're, what we saw, or what I definitely saw, because I was leading two of the game day threads last night, is, you know, people were always pointing to these calls, like, oh, that didn't get called, that didn't get called, and it's kind of like, dude, seriously, it's just like football. Unless it's going, it's not going to affect the entire outcome of the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, calls are all in one way, because <clears throat> that would be hypocritical. Yeah, it was both ways. It was both ways, but I'm just saying they were... If he calls, that could have went the other way. So well, it was bad all the way around. That game was the oh, calls. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I said that. I said that earlier. It wasn't like the officials just made Kentucky lose. They didn't help there at the end. The calls get magnified more. You know, the last four minutes of the game when the game's tied, of course. And it seems like during that time, the foul they called on Harrison. Uh, the guy was going up for a shot under the goal, and he never got touched. And they called the foul. You can't call yep. a foul unless you see it, ref. Come on. Get exactly. rid of that shot clock. Two two big calls right there. Swung the momentum of the game, in my opinion. Am I blaming the officials? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. On air, I blame the officials for missing those two calls that they – one they should have called and one they shouldn't have called. It's, they have too much impact on the game. Let the yeah. guys play. This is the final four, for God's sake. Don't, don't blow the whistle unless you see that hand hit their hands and cause them not to, to get the shot off or something to affect the shot. See, the officials are trying to dictate the or the outcome of the game, and I'm, and I'm tired I'll, of it. I'm tired of nobody I'll, talking about I'll be the devil's advocate here, but Tarvin, I mean, you go back, you go back about probably 15, 20 years and watching college basketball, and I'm talking about games like Georgetown versus, um, you know, Syracuse. When you watch those games on TV, you didn't see half the crap. And now, as soon as something happened, you have like a hundred different angles of every possible scenario for a certain play. And what it's done is it turned us all into like couch refs. And it's almost <laughs> like I blind eye to a certain degree because it's like uh, you lose the enjoyment out of it because 
all you do is you watch the game and oh that, that was wrong and oh that was traveling. You know, I hate doing that. Um, so I'll give, I'll give the refs a break to a certain degree, but there were some really questionable calls. Oh yeah, and Byron, yeah. I tell with you as far as it affecting because, like I said last night on the game day thread, you know there were some fans from both teams going back and forth about certain calls. And it's like yeah, there are some that that could possibly, but most of the little ones that we were talking about, you know, it was a little foul here and there, a little traveling, but. You're like you. You watch it from an official's point of view because that's what you do, you know. And then we all watch it from a player's point of view because we we've all played the sport. But again, you know, and, and you said it, Jason said it. You have to bring in. You have to account. You have to take into account the fact that it's the final four. You know, emotions are high. You've got anything can happen, and then you've got officials who they're trying so hard to get it right, they just end up getting it wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a good point. And, and, and one thing I don't like, and, and you tell me if you saw this, or I know one of you two commented on this last night. Did you notice every time a call went against Kentucky, Calipari was almost at midcourt walking off the bench? I mean, when when the coach is allowed to walk on the court? I thought there was a box right there for coaches that said, you have to stay in here, but Calipari was walking out on the court on every play. Did y'all notice that? Oh, yeah, self-entitlement. <laughs> they ain't gonna they ain't gonna do crap to him. I would I mean, see him up so fast his head would spin if he ever <laughs> come on my court. If you if you notice, I mean that's, that's, that's all the big name coaches. Yeah, I mean look at look at past like Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight would be like center court. <laughs> you know, With a chair in his hand. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so I yeah, well whatever I mean leeway. And, and honestly, when, honestly, when I coached, I did the same thing too. So I can't really, really beat them up. But but tomorrow night's mean, game. I mean, go ahead, Jay. You? Oh yeah. Harvest. Yeah, my my, my sister a, trying to get me to root for the cheeseheads, man. I'm like, no, I can't, man. And and screw screw Big Ten conference homer crap. I wouldn't cheer for Cheeseheads or Wisconsin for the life of me. <laughs> that, well, well, hey like, guys, I, guys, like, I have a video like, that was shown. Right. I have a video that was shown to me. Um, you know, I used to coach basketball, and and I was, you know, I was on video now, and I was in an official space as he gave me five technical fouls, and we, <laughs> which you only can give two. Right. That's what I was trying to tell the guy. I was like, "Hey, idiot, you cannot give me five technical fouls." Choose the limit, and then I'm ejected. Now what I'm doing is free, and he kept giving me technical fouls, and I was on video, and I ripped this official to shreds. I mean, and I'm like, if I did that today, I would be in jail. But the way you would, you'd be a verbal assault. You'd be all over Facebook. And I remember he kicked me out of the game, and I was sitting on the, you know how the stands are in a, in a gym like that, and I was he was coming down the court. So I was ejected from the game, so I snuck back in, and I was on, like, with the, the fans, and this official was coming down the sideline, and I said, in four minutes when this game's over, me and you in the parking lot, I told him, and he stopped the game and, and did all this. So I, I did have, like, a temper, but I was also in my 20s, so I have some excuse. But, but coaching these days – you know, if, if if somebody else would have done what Calipari does and Krzyzewski and 
and Bo Ryan did get teed up, but but, but I, I haven't seen one technical foul in this tournament. Have you? No, for, no, for I don't think I have. No, and it's and it's been a pretty clean tournament too, which is good. Yeah, which which I I kind of um, appreciate. Yeah, I'll give it to him for this for this off season because usually you know all we got is the final four, March Madness and the final four. Nobody really cares about it until it hits there. But this has been a great season. <laughs> Well, Jason, I'm a Big Ten fan in basketball now, man. The last few years I've been watching basketball more and more, and I, I like the Big Ten style of play better than I do any conference. So that's well, one I thing mean, about the Big I, Ten I wanted to share with you. Yeah, I mean, I mean the style, though, Tarvin, and Matt, we said it earlier, the style is because these kids stay together for four years, so they develop a chemistry, and it's almost immediate. So the competition level in the Big Ten is, is tough, you know. I I've always liked Big Ten basketball. Um, what shocked me this year was how bad Michigan was, because usually it's Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin, and Michigan State yeah, too. Especially, especially with a kid that survived two plane crashes that's on your team, you should win every game. Like he should bring some kind of some luck to you or something. Yeah, you would think, but you know, I gotta I gotta give props to Kaminsky, man. He he had the game of his life. Be fun to watch him. For a bit, as big a dork as he looks like, I mean, that kicking ball. I what don't about Colin Stein, though? Is he going to be in the end? I mean, people are acting like he's going to be a first yeah. rounder. Well, what about him makes you think that he's going to be successful in the NBA right now? I don't see he's it. Not, he's not, because he's not big enough. I think he will be because of the way he moves. He kind of reminds me of like a Nash in a way, but without the panache. He's got some, he's got a few moves, and he can play almost any position. Oh. Now it's going to take some polishing. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be like hit the ground running, mm-hmm. but I think that if if somebody if a team took a chance on him, he could be a productive player. Okafor's got a, a more of an NBA body than than Kaminsky does. Kaminsky's just yeah, got to grow. Yeah, yeah, but Kaminsky can do it from everywhere, though. That's one good bonus about him. He can shoot. He can take you out to the three. He can come inside. And he, I don't see how he gets some of these shots off he gets off, that they always go in. And it just makes me bang my head up against the wall last night trying to see it. I'm like, oh, they got him, they got him. And, no, he got the basket again. He, and like, he can my play, God. And he, oh, he, reminds, and he plays deep. He reminds you of a Kevin McHale. Yeah. I mean, that, that's okay. what he reminds me of. He doesn't have well, guys, let's but. Let's go to move to football for a minute, or, or excuse me, baseball first. I want to, Sonia, we're all in Atlanta here. Craig Kimball getting traded from the Braves. and I mean, they're getting rid of everybody they have. How bad are the Braves going to be this season? Are they going to win about 20 games, you think? Dude, <laughs> I don't pay attention to the Braves because the Braves are in Atlanta. And the one thing that we know about Atlanta teams, when they start winning, the owners start dealing. They can never leave a com- – we'll have a combo that's getting hot and that's clicking, and we're like, okay, just give them next season, and I bet you they – Nope. Trade. 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 Yeah. So, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, we all – I mean, every single team, we trade away players, and we're like, 
Dude, you know what? I don't even care anymore. Just when, when the season starts, whoever's on the roster, that's who I'm going to pay attention to. I don't even pay attention to preseason because it makes no sense. You never know who you're going to, now, going to be on the team. And now all these Hawks fans here are losing their mind, for God's sake. They think that they're going to win the NBA championship this year. I have news for you, Hawks. You're probably not going to make it past the second round. Look, you know. <laughs> Okay, Tarver, you personally know me, so you know how I am as far as the Hawks and the NBA. Every Atlanta Hawks fan needs to chill out. Is this a great Hawks team? Yes. It is great to see these guys gelling. It's great to see chemistry. It's great to see them playing as a team. And I love the fact that they are young. So if we can keep them here at Atlanta, maybe they'll grow together. But people always seem to forget history, Atlanta's history. No matter how hot, no matter how how a team, an Atlanta Hawks team is clicking, they're on all cylinders, everything's going great, by the second round, we're watching somebody else play. So if this team makes it past the second round, I'll pay attention. And, and to see, do you think honestly, I mean, like, if I'm looking at a playoff, a seven game, I don't care if it's played in Tokyo, Japan. I don't care. Atlanta versus LeBron James. And, and that group of guys. In Cleveland, they haven't played well early in the season. They're 50 and 27. They're in second place in the East. If it comes down to the Eastern Conference Finals with Atlanta and Cleveland, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not even going to be close. And Trey's with us right now. I'm going to bring Trey in and get his thoughts on the Atlanta Hawks right now. Trey, in Atlanta, these fans are just going crazy right now about thinking they're going to win the NBA championship. If they somehow did miraculously get past the first couple of rounds in the East, do you think they could even come close to beating a, a Western champion? I mean, they've played well against the West. I mean, we talked about that before, but I just don't see them um, re- really competing against the team that makes it the gauntlet of the Western Conference. Uh, they could. I mean, the East is so soft. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's possible they come out. Sure, uh, why not? Uh, I still think Cleveland's a favorite. Um, I, I, I like what they're what they're doing right now. I don't like the Hawks sort of skid, if you will, that they've had a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they've been playing, I guess, uh, more poorly than they played earlier this year. So uh, usually you want to start getting hot right now, and I think that's where I think LeBron is. Uh, and then I still think the Hawks are missing that premier scorer uh, that you have to have in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and, and and they're just not star power. I think the East is all about Cleveland, and I think that's it. Now, the West, we're going to have some entertaining matchups, but at the end of the day, uh, the West is so much better than the East and so much more interesting. Trey, the Oklahoma City Thunder, probably going to get that eight seed, maybe if they can hold on to it right now. Give me uh, their odds of beating Golden State in the first round if they have to play them. Um, well, I, mean, I think, you know, there's a shot. Uh, the Western Conference is um, generally the eighth seed kind of competes. I mean, there's been some years the eighth seed actually beat the one. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't put it out of the realm of possibility. Um, and you know what we're talking about here. But, I mean, Golden State hasn't proven themselves in the playoffs, and that always matters to me, even if you're a one seed. Uh, and I get the Splash Brothers are having a great year. Uh, but, you know, in the playoffs, you really can't weather a cold night. You're, you know, you, you lose that game and you're down. You lose the home court and that kind of stuff. So, um, 
I think anybody in the Western Conference who gets in has a shot. I mean, I, just, I look at Golden State, Tarvin, and I, I don't see a team that is guaranteed to get through. I, I see a team that's, that's got some matchup problems. Well, 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 I have everybody here. I want to get your opinion on what's going on in Chicago Cubland. They're playing tonight against the Cardinals. Um, I think his name's Chris Bryant, if I'm not mistaken. And, Trey, I'll start with you on this since you just got here. Uh, they're going to keep this kid down in the minors for 12 days. I mean, the, the player actually came out and, and said he's upset about it. He was hoping he could start. But this is all about money. This is all about doing what's best for the Cubs organization. Do you agree with the way the Cubs are handling this, or do you think they need to worry about what the player thinks for? I mean, it's an organizational decision. That he's not the only guy. They sent Javier Baez down, too, who's a, a bit of a phenom as well. Uh, Chris Bryant obviously uh, had a, a huge spring training, uh, but you're, you're not going to leave the guy up for 12 days. Uh, and it costs you a year of having him. I mean, the economics don't make sense. Uh, looking at your team long term don't make sense. I mean, you get another year uh, of him on your team without being a free agent for 12 days. I mean, that, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. See, I'm with you, Trey, on this, and a lot of people – are, are mad about this, talking about the player. He's going to leave them eventually. But, but Sonia, what do you, have you heard about this story? Mm-mm, you know how I am with baseball. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll just see if y'all, if y'all heard anything about that. But at the end of the day, you have so many players in an organization, and, and like Trace said, we're going to do without you for 12 days. I know you want to be in the majors. I know you want to have more options come time, but the Chicago Cubs, Theo Epstein, he has to think about what's better for the Chicago Cubs right now, Trey, and you said it dead on. I mean, there's a lot of players in this organization. It's not just him they're doing this to, but that's a great move by Theo. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, this is, it's, it's, less than, it's less than two weeks. I mean, you know, a guy goes in the DL for 15 days, uh, and, you know, in the baseball world, that's not too uh, heavy a loss because in a long season like baseball is, I mean, a guy going out for this one time for 15 days isn't too great of a loss because, you know, in the greater scheme of things. So basically you just lost him for 15 days. That's really it. Um, and it's even less than that. So he'll be up. He'll be playing, you know, probably third base. Um, Holt's there today. Uh, won't be there in two weeks, that's for sure. Well, let's move on to college football real quick. And, and this is a funny topic. And I know, Trey, you're a Florida hater in a way. So, a Florida State fan, so I'm interested to get your opinion on your Jasons as well. So, Trey, Jim McElwain's coming out now, the Florida head coach, talking about how the cupboard's so empty and, and how they're going to struggle and all this stuff. And when he, when he took a job in Florida not too long ago, his press conference, then he could win with his dog playing quarterback, but now he's coming out blaming Will Muschamp for for not stockpiling that team. So I just want your thoughts on, I mean, why would you, if you're a Florida player and you have to hear your coach saying you're not that good, I mean, how are you going to take that? Well, I mean, there's two ways. You could either, you know, mope about it or, or you can motivate about it. Uh, you know, from, from McElwain's point of view, Tarvin, I mean, he just—he's been watching spring practice, and maybe he's not. Maybe they aren't as deep, I and mean, they're not as deep actually as, as they should be. And I don't think that's a, a hidden secret. I mean, there there are some positions that Florida is terrible at right now uh, that they need better skill players. They need better secondary. I mean, they—they have—they have gaps. Um, for him to come out and say it openly, you can say what you want about it, but I mean, 
I don't know that I would argue much about the facts of it. No, but before he took the job, though, he studied Florida's roster up and down and everything, and he said, like you said, he could win with his dog playing quarterback. So, so now, I, I, and Muschamp came back and said he must like his dog better than his players, you know. I mean, I don't know about that. But I thought that was pretty funny. But, Sonia, one, and you know who I'm talking about, somebody was yep. on Facebook running their mouth about how great Florida's going to be this year, how they're going eight, eight and four. There's no way that Florida's going eight and four, Sonia. Mm-mm. And I totally agree with you. I think what he was doing was once he got down there and saw what he really, really had and with the attrition that's been going on, you know, you've got players leaving and decommitting and stuff, you know, maybe that was his way of laying the foundation to, to kind of set the fans' expectation. But he should have done that, you know. It's like most good coaches, they come in like Charlie Strong at Texas. You know, he did it. Butch Jones at, at Tennessee, he did it. He's like, look, we might not be competing for the the conference title or for the national championship my first year. We've got to rebuild. And I think it would have been better for him to go at, go at it from that angle instead of coming in, you know, it's kind of like, ooh, I put my foot in my mouth, and now that I see what I have, let me just, you know, <laughs> You know, kind of, kind of lay the foundation just in case, so I can point fingers elsewhere. It's like, no, that's a rookie coach move. That's something that that rookie head coaches do. Yeah, not yeah, not all coaches are, not all coaches have the luxury of walking into a program like Minnesota that already sucks. <laughs> you know, so there is high expectations, and it's like, hey, we win. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just don't like excuses, you know, and that's that's just yeah. me. Like, I'm just, and I said, as you remember, Sonia, I said the same thing about Charlie Strong. I said the same thing about Butch when they said that. I'm just like, look, don't don't say anything. Forget the fans. Right. I mean, they most fans that are knowledgeable, they understand whether you're going to have a shot or not. You don't need to come out and tell them. The players just need to take just to worry about themselves and get better. Like Trey said. Maybe they use it as motivation, but when you only have seven offensive linemen and you don't even have a spring game, and you're telling that, me that you're going to win eight games this year, come on now. No, 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 no. I was like, um, wait a minute, hold on, <laughs> dude. I see the same thing you see, unless you you're hiding, holding something back. I don't see it. Mm-mm. It's going to take Florida a minute, and then they've got to get back in the recruiting game. They've got to get, you know, because it's like all the players who, who Mooshamp was, was was recruiting, they, they either followed him from Auburn or they went somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? So he's got to get hot on that. He's got to repair. He's got to do some major PR work. You know, there's a lot of stuff he's got to do. And his best bet would have been to just keep your mouth shut, you know, be like Butch, just, just go in, do what you got to do, keep your mouth shut. But, nope, always somebody's got to talk. Yeah. Well, Trey, this person that I was, I'm referring to on Facebook said there's no way that Florida State beats Florida this year, you know, after Winston's leaving. Well, what are your your thoughts on that? What are your comments? Well, I mean, Florida State's going to be in a rebuild year, but it's not the same as Florida. Um, you know, they have a guy who could win the Heisman at running back, and uh, the big positions that Florida State's trying to fill, linebacker and quarterback. I mean, they have skills everywhere else. So, I mean, I, I – Hey, look, Florida's in, Florida's in a full-scale rebuild mode. I mean, rivalries, anything can happen. But I mean, I, I don't—they're not—they're not where we are on talent right now. And you know, looking towards that, Tarvin, and, and what Michael Williams dealing with, if you look at 2016, which I know some people who listen to our show do. Uh, number one in recruiting class right now is Florida State. Number two is Miami. 
so the state of Florida is right now not going Florida's way at all, and, and McElwain has a long road ahead of him uh, for yeah. multiple years um, to get four- and five-star players back on that team. Uh, you know, Martez Ivy was a great pickup on the line for them last year, uh, but he's one of, like you said, one of seven guys on the line, and he's a freshman. So, I mean, they're going to have some problems and you know, with a quarterback, I mean, you're talking about Trayon Harris, four-star guy who played last year. Uh, Greer, who was a five-star who didn't play last year, who was redshirted. And McIlwain is already talking about putting a redshirt, excuse me, putting him a walk-on on the roster at quarterback and maybe even playing him. Uh, so that should tell you where the development of their quarterback is, um, and that should also tell you that they're really worried about that offensive line. Yeah, and if you don't have an offensive line, and you all know, you watch. You watch big boy football like I do every weekend. Without that offensive line, you have no shot at at contending for anything. And I think that's where Florida's going to be hurt. All it's going to take is one injury to one of these linemen or anything. Or, or like you said, a freshman. What if he doesn't pan out? Vanya, you know as well as I do, freshmen in the SEC at the offensive line is, are a dime a dime. I mean, you can't find them anywhere. There's not many. No, I mean <laughs> – when you look at at, at uh, look at the problems that we had, you know, when our center went down, and it, it's one of those. It's like I mean, Trey just said the same thing I did, and I think we all realize that is he he's got so much catching up to do. He can't even start from zero. He's got to get to zero before he starts rebuilding. <laughs> I mean, seriously. At least he's in Florida. Yeah, at, at least, least he's, he's in, Florida. in Florida. That's the only plus yeah, he's with got Miami. right. Miami. Just like with Miami kind of getting some momentum, Florida State with momentum, and not to mention Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, teams like that, LSU, that can come and pick from your state. Auburn made a living in Florida, and, and especially Georgia, but this year they oh, went hey. to Florida and really hit the home run with T-Rob being the coach in Miami area. Trey, it's not just about, you know, Miami and Florida State he's got to worry about. It's all these SEC teams and Texas and teams like that that can come in and do some cherry picking. Well, in the state of Florida, everybody's oh, yeah. anybody down there. But, I mean, the problem with McElwain is, is you have a lot of these big um, Florida programs, and right now they're dominated by Florida State and Miami, where you had some uh, who in years past uh, were, were dominated by Florida. What we saw last year is, uh, you know, the number one player in the country, at least the number one in my book, uh, who was from one of those usual hotbed Florida areas, went to Auburn. Uh, so uh, right now, my yep, I think he's going to be phenomenal, by the way. Um, you have, you know, those traditional coaching high school areas that usually push their kids toward Florida. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about some really great Florida programs, national programs, they don't have that anymore, and, and it's going to take McElwain a while uh, to get that back. Uh, so, you know, we've seen Charlie Strong starting to make roads in Texas in a couple of years. It's going to take McElwain a couple of years to make those connections and get those sort of, you know, recruiting pipelines back. You know, can he do it? Sure. And there's talent in Florida. Uh, but, you know, man, there's just so many people recruiting down in Florida. Uh, and the way Miami right now, I'm surprised how well Miami's recruiting down there. Um, Al Golden with a hot seat, now with the number two class. We'll see how that pans out if he has a bad season. But, um, you know, McElwain's got a long road ahead of him. And don't forget, and if you look at McElwain, 
Oh, yeah, definitely. The Big Ten's always down there. But if you look at McIlwain, I mean, I'm not saying he's not a good coach because he hasn't been the head coach long enough to really tell. He's kind of like Malzahn. He, he left a, a championship team. He went to a small school. He, he brought it up, won their conference, and, and Malzahn had good success. I think McIlwain could too, but Malzahn walked into a lot better position with more talent there, and he was able to win early. But I just don't know if McIlwain's a name that these kids or a person these kids are going to relate to. Charlie Strong's a guy that players relate to. I think he's better at building relationships. And, and Trey, I think all the Florida fans that were wanting Will Muschamp out, I think they could be <laughs> in, in some big trouble this year. You know, because of the relationship building, recruiting about relationships and yeah. McElwain. I know he coached at Alabama under Saban, but what else has he done? Yeah, and you know the thing about at least about Muschamp is is he had a really good relationship with coaches on a personal level. He's a likable guy. I mean, you know, he, he generally you know kept his word with high school coaches. Um, and there are times when. Uh, coaches burn high schools, you know, just for whatever reason. You know, they take too many guys on scholarship, and they get, they offer a gray shirt, or they pull a scholarship back. Bobby and Petrino. Muschamp wasn't really known for doing that. Um, he was a guy who didn't do that a whole lot. Um, and those coaches, you know, I don't know how McElwain is going to be, um, but that meant something down in Florida to a lot of those big areas. So we'll have to see. And there's some other things brewing. I mean, for you really know recruiting, you know, IMG Academy, uh, Chris Winkie, former Heisman winner for Florida State, was the head coach. He took a job with the Rams as a quarterback coach. Uh, whoever takes that position, IMG Academy has just, I mean, like 10 to 15 five-stars. Uh, so, I mean, they're just ridiculously deep. Mm-hmm. So, whoever takes that position could very well help any of the schools in Florida. I mean, so there's all kinds of things going on right now about that. He's going so, to have to bring. Sonia, I want to bring up somebody to you, Carl Lawson. Have you seen a picture of him lately? <laughs> well, first, let me let me inject this in uh, about Jim McElwain first. To me, he's going to have to approach the recruits sort of like um, – who was the guy that we were talking about? Almost in a way that, that Gus, once he, once he stepped onto the recruiting trail, he didn't have to do it as much. But he's going to have to approach the guys kind of like, you know, do you want to be able to start immediately? Do you want to be part of that team that brings Florida back to glory? That's going to have to be his selling point because he truly doesn't have anything else. He's going to have to use that as his main selling point. Now back to Woody. <laughs> what, is it? what is he eating, man? <laughs> you must have seen a picture. <laughs> is he I not did, My God. He has been I mean, working out every single day. He has been rehabbing. Um, I actually talked to Shane um, uh, last week, his stepdad, this last week, and his mom the week before, and they were just saying he's, you know, he's ready to get back on the field. He's he's excited. He's working out. You know, he is just he's ready. So you guys, you guys at Auburn have definitely something to look forward to. Well, if I was around Carl Lawson, guys, I'd be wearing sweaters in the summer instead of being around him with those arms. He looks like the incredible Hulk on steroids. I mean, this guy, I mean, I'm hearing what he, he's faster, he's more mobile, he's he's just a lot more experienced. Being able to sit last year, even being injured and be around maturing, Carl Lawson's one and done at Auburn after this year. He's, he's going to come in and he's going to be in the first round of the NFL from what I'm seeing. But one thing I wanted to share, the reason I brought that up, the scrimmage Auburn had yesterday, 
And something I haven't heard in years and years is the defense dominated that scrimmage. And, and Will Muschamp was praising the guys, talking about how fast they're picking up everything, how hard they're trying. Trey, I mean, you put Auburn with a great defense this year. That could be something special brewing in Auburn, looking at that schedule they have. A little more manageable than, than last year. Yeah, I mean, more manageable. I think offensively we'll have to see how how, how Jeremy Johnson um, who looked good, really good um, at, at brief moments, uh, but it's easy to look good in brief moments when people don't want to tape on you. So uh, we'll have to see. The offense, I think, will be um, about the same. It, it really is defensively where Muschamp can bring them up to. And, and I want to bring you guys – I mean, I wanted to let people know. I know we have it. More I found out was the struggles of Auburn last year was more to do with Gus Malzahn in his style, even though he's not a defensive coordinator, he really did not want the defense. After Lawson went out in the spring, he didn't want to lose any more players. And from what I heard from some credible people, that Malzahn would not let him hit in practice. And so Ellis Johnson was very frustrated in that. So really blaming Ellis Johnson for our defensive struggles last year was a little premature before we knew everything that happened. But you can't win in football without a physical, aggressive defense. And Gus Malzahn's ego kind of got in the way last year, thinking that his offense could get it done in the SEC without worrying about the defense. So I think Harry Muschamp had to do with, with him swallowing his ego and his pride and saying, hey, Muschamp, this defense is yours. I'm excited to see Jeremy Johnson, a six-foot the sixth guy, like a Cam Newton size, run a four-five-two yesterday, or it was Friday, I believe, four-five-two, and that's faster than a lot of quarterbacks I saw. So it's going to be exciting to see. But I wanted to throw Carl Lawson out there. I know Sonia's friends with him, but man, this guy looks. I mean, his arms are bigger than anybody I've seen in a long time. He's ready. He is so ready. And and don't be too sure about that one and done. Because one thing that he's been doing, you know, his dad played for Georgia Tech, so he's aware of all the the pitfalls and everything. But one thing that he had promised his parents was, uh, and that they were very very big on, is that he get his degree. Now, of course, you know things change. You never know. But that was one thing that he had sort of emphasized himself. Like when we had a conversation about it, was that he definitely wanted his degree. It wasn't just about playing football. So hopefully he stays, but I am very, very proud of him. I have to have to give him props. He really has worked hard, and he, he his heart is at Auburn, definitely. I'm ready to see. And, and last thing I want to bring up tonight, guys, is the NFL draft and, you know, coming into the draft or coming, you know, during the season, in the college football season, Trey, I wasn't real high on Jameis Winston. But looking at him now, looking at how he's grown and matured since that time, the season ended. I mean, this is, is he a number one overall pick? Is it a lock? Because I'm ready to say Tampa Bay is taking him number one no matter what now. Oh, I mean, it's it's about as locky, I mean, as locked as you can get um, for this draft. I mean, this is, uh, I, I think, Andrew Luck lock type territory where, you, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know that. I don't even think Mariota is going to be a successful NFL quarterback. I think a lot of people are very reluctant to, to for him. I think Winston's a lock from Bowl one. I think it's – I mean, I, I don't know what else to tell you. I, I think it's an easy lock. Sonia? It's, it's, there's too many variables. I mean, right now, until they get some of this, the free agency and, and who's going to be where settled, 
I don't. I think that a lot of teams are really focused on that right now before they start looking. Of course, they've got people that they got in mind that they want to draft, you know. But your needs right now <laughs> outweigh how that player might turn out two years from now. So I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think a lot of teams are going to be addressing a lot of immediate needs. But also, I think a lot of teams saw that you know, hey, we, we do we need depth at this position, that position. So I think you're just going to see a bunch of jumping around. I don't think we're going to see, you know, like most drafts we say, okay, this was an offensive draft or this was a defensive draft. I think we're just going to see a lot of cherry picking, basically, because every team is, has so many problems. But is Winston, to you, the number one player overall in the draft? Nope. <laughs> I'm just going to be is. honest. <laughs> Who do you think huh? is? Who do you think is the, the best player in the draft? Best player in the draft right now. Uh, there is no, there is no best. That's, player. that's hard. It, Me and probably, Jason talked about it, that. There's probably three or four that could flip flop. Yeah, because I could throw Cooper up there. I can throw what's his name from. Um, let, let me put it to you this way: If if Winston sneezes, Mariota. We'll, we'll jump them. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think the thing about this draft is a lot of people are taking off-the-field issues and bringing those into the draft. So when you look at some of these, you know, media draft lists, like these are my top ten or these are my top whatever, even though some say that, oh, you know, we're, we're not thinking about the off, we're, we're trying to be objective here, we're just looking at their skills, no. No, it's not, because when you look at, at James's and you look at Mariota, okay, look at look at what they've done the entire time they've been there, look at the teams they played, look at the accomplishments the accomplishments that they have. But then when you look off the field, okay, yeah, James's has a little more, you know, a lot more black marks on his ish on his on his record. But when you see when he when you get him on the field, the kid can show up. You know, he can show up, but it's the same with Mariota. So it's it's kinda hard for me to sit here and say this one's better than this one because every game is different. I, you know how you know me. I can't. I can't really sit here and say this is the best. There's well, just too many variables. Quarterback will go first, though. It's just a yeah. question between and Mariota. That's it. Well, guys, I want to thank y'all for coming on with us real quick. Trey's back, and we're going to talk some basketball in just a second. Uh, but Trey, looking at Winston, I, I can't see a player in this draft that I would take number one, like because quarterback. You look, you look through every team's roster. You look through every team that made the playoffs. You have to have that quarterback. I don't care what Tampa has around everybody. If they don't have a quarterback right now, they're not going to make the playoffs. So the no-brainer pick to me tonight is Jameis Winston. I'm with you. I don't think Mariota is going to make it. And and I wouldn't. And I know Cooper's a great talent, but I wouldn't spend the number one overall pick on it. You know, maybe my question, maybe Cooper is the best player, but what Tampa needs in order to be relevant again. You need an offensive line. You need a quarterback. So Tampa Bay would be stupid if they didn't take Winston with this pick or trade it away at least. Well, and you got to remember, Tampa took a receiver first round last year. So um, they need somebody to throw to them. Uh, and Davis Winston is, is going to go at number one unless something off the field happens, like he's arrested or something. Like I mean, there's no – there's nothing that will stop him from going number one absent that. I mean, that's just uh, – he's a lock as they, as they come. Uh, anybody who's watched the Pro Days, who watched the Gruden Academy, who watched him throw around, I mean, he, he's, he's 
He's nailed everything. His pro day, Tarvin, was ridiculous. He threw 102 passes, Tarvin. Uh, if you take out the drops, he had, what, three or four incompletions out of 102 passes. Um, just just incredible. Um, and Mariota just isn't there. Uh, Mariota's a project. Uh, so somebody might take Mariota second if they trade up. I don't see Tennessee doing it. Uh, I, I see Mariota falling. I really do. Um, maybe I think a lot of people are posturing, uh, saying, you know, hey, you know, take Mariota here. We're going to take him. I think Tennessee is doing that right now. I think Tennessee is going to go with Mettenberger, to be honest with you. I think Tennessee goes after uh, a defensive player number two or traded. I think they're looking to bait somebody into trading up for Mariota. Um, I think that's where Mariota is right now, Tarvin. I think he's bait. I think people are looking to get mm-hmm. someone to trade up for him by – you know, by making them think that he's more valuable than he is. Yeah, and and then this NFL, this day and age trade, the project is not what fans want. It's not what organizations want. They want the the Andrew Luck. They want the the Cam Newton kind of the the guy that comes in that first year and makes a difference. And I see Winston able to do that. I mean, the guy's lost weight. It looks like he's in the best shape of his life, and it finally looks like he's taking this serious. And, and, and you never could take away from his football skills. Everything against Winston was off the field. And, again, there were allegations, too, besides that one incident. But, I mean, the guy's a winner. He he knows how to win. He's from the state of, you know, he plays in Florida. He's from Alabama. But something for Tampa, the season ticket holders, to be able to get excited. Like you said, the receivers they drafted, bringing in Winston, they don't want a project. They don't want Mariota. The guy's not an NFL quarterback, and Tennessee's smart by keeping Mettenberger and drafting some defense because Mettenberger, to me, is going to have the the better NFL career. Looking at longevity and things like that, I think he's a true pocket passer. And and Winston, if if they weren't serious about this, if Tampa wasn't serious about Winston, do you think they would have hired someone to sit on the flight with Winston to see how he acted? Like, he didn't know they were there. But just to see what he did, what he said on the phone, how he reacted, and, and engaged people. So Tampa's serious about this. So if they don't, if they keep this pick, Trey, and they don't keep Winston, then Tampa's going to suck for a long time. You know, one of the things I want to mention about about the about pro day for him and, and pro day for Florida State, they had 102, 103 scouts there, and every single team represented. Uh, so that should tell you something about. Uh, not only Winston going number one, but a couple other players. I mean, that tells you that, that teams are seriously looking into uh, him and some other players. I mean, you don't spend that kind of effort um, for these pro days uh, to then turn around and be like, nah, you know, we're going we're gonna to do something else. Mm-hmm. I think Tampa's locked in. I think uh, at that point, Tarvin, I think that's where uh, anarchy could ensue at two uh, because I really do think uh, there's a lot of posturing going on for who – can sort of be baited into trading up for Mariota. Uh, and I really think it is sort of that. I mean, I think uh, he's not NFL-ready. I think he's a project. Um, if Maybe he'll be good one day, Tarvin, if he sits like Aaron Rodgers did for three years. Um, but I just don't think his footwork, uh, his, his, his motions are good enough uh, to be there. Uh, I, I think Amari Cooper is probably, like another thing I think, I see a lot of people talking about Kevin White, uh, the receiver out of West Virginia, being the best receiver in the draft. They're saying that you know his physical skills are better than Cooper's, uh, and that might be Tarvin. But to me, I look at Kevin White and I think of yet another guy who blew up his pro day and blew up the NFL draft 
just to be a bust. I mean, I, if I, yeah, I'm just telling you right now, if you're gonna, if you need a receiver, you take Cooper. He's the first receiver off the board. Kevin White at the project. I, I wouldn't take a guy who's great on pro days, uh, but not great in game film. Well, Cooper is a winner, man. He's a, he has the worst ethic, second to none, and he did it against everybody. I mean, it's like no matter you knew he was coming, you knew who Alabama was going to throw to, and you still couldn't stop this guy. That's who I want on my team. That That's the receiver I want. Forget a guy for West Virginia that plays. If you didn't take Amari Cooper as the first receiver, you're on crack. And and I just like his work ethic and his skills. And, and you know, Mariota, we talked about – the project. I think one team, one coach that could get him productive is Chip Kelly at Philadelphia. But after we discussed the roster of Philadelphia, what are they going to? Why did they get all these other quarterbacks if he was planning on moving up in the draft to take Mariota? It just doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, I mean, I really think a lot of teams are talking about Mariota, uh, and you know, it's you can bring up several quarterbacks. This has happened to who, who slipped and fell. Uh, who had a lot of buzz about them, and then on draft day, um, we were like, oh, they keep falling, they keep falling. Uh, how, how can they keep falling when everybody mm-hmm. was going to take um, And look at Johnny Manziel. Everybody was going to take Manziel. He always fell. You know, he, he, he fell to an 11 and a 9. Man, this, this, of course they're going to take him. Um, and then he falls all the way to the very end of the first, the first round. Um, you know, after multiple other quarterbacks have taken, I, I just, I mean, obviously I think Marietta is going to be the second quarterback taken. Uh, but I just see him coming out of the top ten. I mean, unless unless somebody trades up and we see one of those draft day trades where, like, we scratch your head, you know, sort of like RG3 where Washington gave up the, the farm for him. I think somebody's looking for sort of that. Somebody's looking to make a Washington out of somebody for Mariota um, because <laughs> there's all this hype around him. And you just, to me, when there's all this smoke about Mariota, uh, somebody's blowing it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think Mariota maybe in the Saints organization to be able to stay two or three years and an offense like that. But I, as far as if you're going to take a quarterback in the first couple picks, you're going to need him now, and that's the problem. That's why you wonder why these NFL quarterbacks are struggling, uh, why they can't just come in out of college because colleges run systems, and there's not many quarterbacks that can come in. Uh, is a rookie and lead an NFL team. It's just it's not going to happen. Winston is the only quarterback in this draft. So, and I'm not saying Mariota's garbage or anything like that. I'm just saying, looking at it right now, what these NFL teams need, what they want, what the fans want, it's Winston. And if if you're you're second or third, you want that Winston, you you better be able to trade and and give up a lot to get him. But but Trey, I want to talk real quick about Tony Romo in Dallas. You know, they got rid of their DeMarco Murray. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Romo was willing to take a pay cut, restructure his contract just to keep Murray. Murray got paid, which I think he should have. He did the right thing. He went to Philadelphia. He's been underpaid for his first three years. But looking at Aikman, or uh, Romo, I want to say Aikman for some reason, looking at his health, the way he bounced back last year, how close he was to get to the Super Bowl, do you look at this as being possibly a breakout year for Tony Romo? I look at this as being their year, not and not, not by that they're going to win it this year. I think this is their this is the year they have to sort of make the push. I mean, Romo is not getting younger. Um, there's really nothing past him, and I, I think it was a smart move what the Cowboys did because I, I look at Murray and you look at just the history of running backs. 
nobody who has done what what DeMarco Murray did in, in the number of carries uh, has has had a decent year the next year. It's just not been done. Uh, may, maybe this year, maybe Murray's that guy, but if I'm a GM, I'm not thinking that Murray is the only guy to ever do it. Um, I look at, you know, you just look at the carry, look at the toll, um, and you move on. I don't think you pay him. Uh, because honestly, I think, you know, if I'm looking at this draft and I'm looking at where the Dallas Cowboys pick, I mean, hello, Melvin Gordon. I mean, th- this day and age, yeah. I mean, running backs, I mean, are just, when, when the number one guy, I mean, you know, look at what uh, McCoy was able to get back in a trade, uh, a, a linebacker who played one season and blew out of the ACL and missed the entire second year. And he's probably the best back in the NFL right now. He was, in, what, number one and number two in rushing the last few years. Um, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I wouldn't pay money for Murray if I was a Cowboys. I think it was a good move. Uh, it was, and you said Gordon, and, and, you know, running backs are not as valued as high as they used to be, but Gordon, a, a player that got to start four years and play an entire college career trade, I look at him as being able to step in anywhere, being able to start immediately, and it's not taking him a while to pick up any playbooks, really, because of how much he's been around football. So if you're Dallas, that's exactly who I was thinking about, who they would draft, who they would get. And another player, what do you think about Todd Gurley? I know the the jury's out with his health and everything. Our team's going to bite in the first round on Gurley. You know, he's really an X factor for the one I can't figure out what they'll do with him. I can see a team taking him as the first running back over Gordon just out of pure talent. I mean, we know before the injury, Gurley was just insanely talented and was going to be a solid, uh, you know, first running back taken uh, type of talent. He gets hurt, and now we don't know because we've seen that backfire. We've seen it go well with, like, Willis McGahey. We've seen it go not so well. Um, with other guys. So, you know, you have to be able to evaluate that. You hope that if you're a team, you're able to evaluate his knee. Uh, but if you're the Cowboys and you kind of need somebody who's going to be able to play this year, I don't know if I'd take a flyer on Gurley. I, I think somebody will, Tarvin. I don't think ultimately to answer your question. I think he'll go in the first round. Um, but I think it's going to be a team who has somebody um, who maybe they're looking for a second back, um, you know, maybe somebody who's got a free agent back this year. You know, I love the draft. When is the draft exactly the day? Is it the end of April, like the last week? I think it's the first week of May. Okay. Okay. I'm just not excited about it as I have been in years past. Is that because the the talent level's down in this draft? I'm just not blown away when I look through this draft and, and excited like I have been in years past. I think this year, I'm not so sure. I mean, I, I kind of, I think this is not a, a stellar um, year, as in, you know, where you have guys, um, there have been years past where um, everybody sort of in the first round ends up playing, you know, the first year, and I think what, last year or the year before, I think it was something like um, 28 of twenty eight guys started or played. That's something incredible. I don't know that you're going to get that into this draft where you have the entirety of the first round making an impact automatically uh, for all of their teams. I think some of these guys are going to be projects. I, I look at this draft, Harvin, and I see some guys who, um, and I, you know, I was wrong about Khalil Mack. I'll admit that now. Khalil Mack's a solid guy. But there, I see a couple of guys in this draft who worry me about being bust. And they're, they're just one of those guys who seem to underachieve in college despite being sort of physical freaks. And then all of a sudden here comes mm-hmm. the combine, and, you know, what do we have? Oh, man, they're so talented. Well, 
yeah, yeah, they look talented. They, 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 they're great on the combine stuff, but why didn't they produce up their talent level in college? You know, guys, guys like that worry me. Well, Trey, I want to go back to basketball real quick. Just a couple things with you before we get out of here. Uh, Avery, what's his name? Avery Johnson hired Johnson. as Alabama's basketball coach. What do you think about that? I mean, look, Wichita State's Greg Marshall was a great carbon. Uh, this is better. I mean, Greg Marshall is a college coach um, who has done a lot with very little talent. Um, but if you're talking about making an impact in recruiting, I mean, Avery Johnson coached the Dallas Mavericks to an NBA championship. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm surprised. I was shocked when I, when I heard Avery Johnson was making the trip because, uh, well, you know, usually when you do that, you're pretty serious about taking the job and it was pretty serious about offering. But for Alabama, I mean, I, I don't know how you could have got a better hire. I know Greg Marshall was our first choice, but this is the right one. I mean, I, I am Alabama home run, man. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, when you look at it and you see a coach that has an NBA championship that that has the respect of the locker room, no matter where he's been, the way how good he was on the court, you're right, recruiting's everything. You have to coach, don't get me wrong, and he shows he could do that, but recruiting is key and man, that's sitting in your living room with that NBA title ring on tray, bringing Alabama basketball back. I mean, I mean, it does help that he's African-American, too, right? I mean, he's a black coach, which that sets well, too, with some of the players. It, it just does, and it's, it's just the way it is. Avery Johnson was a home run hire for Alabama. And one thing about it, Trey, is I never saw it coming. I never saw this coming. Well, I mean, I, I thought Greg Marshall, when they were going to him, I was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a good hire, right? Greg Marshall's kind of been the guy who – who needs to, to, you know, kind of take a step up. But I thought, if I was Greg Marshall, would I really go to Alabama? I mean, Wichita State's a better program basketball-wise. Um, but then you see this move, and it's like, wow, this is so much better. Like, like, I really, you know, I mean, if I'm Alabama and I had, you know, I got to wonder about why I was even going after Greg Marshall as if Avery Johnson could be guy. I mean, I, I just think this guy, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think he could have an immediate, like, you could see a, you know, a five-star guy start to sign with, his, with Alabama. I think Avery Johnson is just that kind of coach. I mean, he's you watch him on TV. He's he's very good uh, with the X's and O's. He's very good personality-wise. Um, yeah, I wish Florida State would have fired Leonard Hamilton if we had. I know Avery Johnson was coming to college. Who would you rather have, Bruce Pearl or Avery Johnson? Oh, Avery Johnson, man. I mean, Bruce Pearl's great, but he's a college coach, right? I mean, he he doesn't have that. Um, I I know what wins championship speech that he can give you. I mean, well, the Avery only thing that concerns me about Avery is he's never coached college, and it's different. It is different coaching college than it is the NBA, but now with these one and does more and more, maybe not so much. I'm just trying to look at it. I'm trying to find some negatives to this, you know, just to see yeah. what I can put <laughs> down. But that's the only negative is he's never coached college before. Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, and maybe you can use that in sort of your negative recruiting for Bruce Pearl, but. Um, I mean, the fact is, the guy can say to all these five stars who are doing one, two years and leaving, uh, you want to get to the NBA, you want to win championships. Uh, guess who's done that before? You know, this guy. Uh, so, uh, pretty great hire. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I was just flabbergasted by it. I mean, Alabama just, I mean, this, is, this isn't a home run, Tarvin. This is like the grand slam. 
It'd be like Auburn hiring Bill Belichick, saying, hey, let's bring him on to Auburn. <laughs> well, I've never coached college, but I've won a ton of Super Bowls. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I mean, look what, all you look need what Larry to do. Larry Brown did at SMU, Tarvin. I mean, Larry Brown, who is one of the greatest coaches of all time, took SMU to the tournament. They were, they were like, what, two-win team before he took them over? I mean, so Larry Brown, I mean, SMU got them to the tournament this year. I mean, yeah, they didn't do anything, but it's still SMU, and Larry Brown has SMU in the tournament. So, I'm saying, like, great coaches, they can translate that in college. Yeah, I agree. But Larry Brown was a coach, though, at Kansas or North Carolina, at Kansas before he went to yeah, the he, NBA, he, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it was a great hire. It was a grand slam, like I said. And Alabama, if you want to show, there's a difference between saying you're, you're going to be serious about basketball and then they're showing it. They went and showed it. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I would rather have Avery than the guy at Wichita State. I mean, yeah, he plays in a conference with nobody and he wins some games. Why do you think he stayed there? Because he knew as soon as he left Wichita State, the expectation of going to Alabama, if he, if he sucked for two years, he's going to be fired. But now he's got a seven-year deal. He used Alabama's offer to get him some more leverage, and look at him. He's, he's set for his life now. Yeah, I think Greg Marshall wanted one in Texas, um, and Texas wanted Shaka, Shaka Smart, who is um, a great hire for Texas too. too. So, um, yeah, so we'll see, man. I think I think Alabama, we'll see how fast they can turn it around. But I, I foresee Alabama's going to be the tournament real soon. Well, real quick, what did you think about Harrison's comments about Kaminsky after the game last night? Uh, it, there was a lot of class um, that was not demonstrated by Kentucky. That comment was ridiculous. Uh, it should should have been um, – the deal that people made about it, it was, was absolutely correct to make it. Um, those guys didn't shake hands off the court. You know, that got a lot of pop, you know, a lot of press for the college football playoff. Uh, and, you know, it, just, it showed a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the Harrison – uh, that he needs a lot of class. He needs to grow up. He needs to he needs to get some class because that was that was ridiculous. I didn't, I didn't prefer that. But the way Kaminsky handled it, I mean, perfect, right? I mean, this kid is, is yeah. on and off the court, just a great human being. Yeah, he's one of the AP Player of the Year, the Eastwood Player of the Year, dude who was recruited by like what Northern Illinois and some other ridiculously small schools. He's now the college basketball player of the year. I mean, the first round of the draft, man. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, I forgive you. Don't worry about it when I'm playing in the championship tomorrow night. So, <laughs> yeah. tomorrow night's game, Duke and Wisconsin, Trey, I mean, it's a huge matchup. You know, two number one seeds playing. I think Duke's been flying under the radar this tournament. If, that, if that's even a possibility, it's been so much about Kentucky and Wisconsin. Here we are now with Duke, a one-point favorite over Wisconsin in the championship. Give us your thoughts real quick before we go. I think I, I got Duke in this game. I think Wisconsin had a had a really tough matchup against uh, Kentucky. I think they're going to come out a little bit flat. I think Duke, who had a sort of easy route to it, uh, they're going to come out a little bit strong. Uh, I like the fact, even though Duke only, you know, they only dressed 10, Darvin. That's crazy in college basketball these days, and, and they really run with eight. Uh, but I saw the three guys, uh, you know, we talked about their lack of bench scoring. One of those guys off the bench who doesn't score plays truly tremendous defense, and I watched that against Michigan State. So, I mean, I just – Tarvin, I, I like those three those three superstars they have. And that little Allen kid who, who dunked one-handed over, <laughs> I, was, I, I did not see that coming. So, I, I think I, I like Duke in this game. And, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay with Wisconsin because I just look at them 
it's with all the seniors, juniors on that team, the way they, what they've been through to to get to this place, the new freshmen. This is a different stage. I know the Final Four; they were just way better than Michigan State last night. I don't think that's going to be the case tomorrow night. I think Wisconsin, that roadblock was Kentucky. They got the monkey off their back. Now I think they're looking for the prize, and they have the the personnel, they have the coach to be able to do it. Duke could be a little bit too young, Trey. I know that sounds hypocritical and everything, but they're younger than Kentucky. I mean, I think they start three freshmen. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, Yeah, they are. They're younger. Yeah, and it's just like, how are they going to embrace that? You have a player like Kaminsky and Decker and these guys that's been around the block. I, I just think Duke's favored because of their defense. Number two, but number one, I think the name of Duke. But the, but they did fly under the radar, haven't they? I mean, that, they have flown under the yep. radar this year because of Kentucky and Wisconsin. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say on this before we go is Shashevsky. Uh, uh, the last two times he went to the Final Four in Indianapolis, he cut the nets down both times. So sometimes, you know, those history, those history type of numbers. I just think Indianapolis Shashevsky. Look at for, for a third time then. Well, I mean, has this not been a great tournament, Trey? I mean, it's uh, oh yeah, it has been, just yeah. an unbelievable memory. It's been a clean tournament, no fights, no technical fouls everywhere. It's just been, I mean, a well played tournament. Even the women's tournament going on now, Notre Dame over South Carolina earlier, Connecticut playing mm-hmm. the women's tournament's even competitive. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting. I think it's going to be Connecticut and Notre Dame in the finals for the women. So. Yep, that's how it's looking. But we'll be live next Sunday night at the same time. We may do a show during the week. It just depends on how things are going. But until football starts heating up, we're going to stick to the one show per week. Trey, thanks for joining us, buddy. Everybody, enjoy that championship game tomorrow night.